Hi everyone, it's Charlie Webster here. Thanks so much for joining My Sporting Mind. I hope you're enjoying the series so far as I chat to sports stars about their mindset and mental health. Season two is proudly supported by SportingLife.com, providing sporting opinion, debate and analysis for over 160 years. Today we're heading to Jamaica. Wish we actually were, and I actually was. Well, we kind of are. I'm super excited to welcome Bridget's 100 and 200 meter sprinter, Zanel Hughes, to the podcast, and definitely a name to keep your eye out for in Tokyo. Welcome along, my traditional Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So come on then. I can see that you're sat in in your, your house, but can you paint a picture for us, for those that of us maybe not in Jamaica? Oh, <laughs> What's I'll, it like I'll, at the moment? Right now it's quite windy and very hot in Jamaica. Um, it's beautiful still. It's quite um, the, the clouds are quite um, clear and everything. So Jamaica is beautiful right now. I'm enjoying myself um, every day. Sunshine. So I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Thanks for that. Let's move on. No. <laughs> no, it's great to hear that. So what? In a serious note, though, what's it been like in terms of the uncertainty around training and competition at the moment for you? Well, for now, I'm actually getting to train pretty good um we haven't had any um hiccups so far the last year was quite painful knowing that we started such a hard season well preparation for the season and then by the time march came around everything we just mm. went tumbling down how did you cope with that knowing that you were on track to head to the olympics in tokyo and the fact that also when you were training for Rio, you were injured, so you didn't compete in Rio because actually the Olympics will, the Tokyo Olympics will be the first Olympics that you've competed in. Yes. Um, it was quite difficult because um, at the end of it, like you mentioned, 2016 was a year I got injured, sadly. And um, I was really geared up for this Olympics. And to know that the preparation that I've been putting in towards the Olympics, everything was on par. Uh, this year still is on par this year. But um, I mean, leading up to the Olympics, I was mentally in a great space, physically as well. Um, training was going accordingly. Um, I was just ready to compete. And the first couple races I ran, which was all in February, was, which was the Gibson Relays and the Camperdown Classics here in Jamaica. I ran a 400 meters and I ran a pretty good time. And then the relays came about. So... The times that I was splitting on the relays, it showed that I was in really good speed going in towards um, Tokyo. But um, it was difficult knowing that um, all the preparation that went in was just going back down the drain. I didn't have to sit out. But at the same time, I tried to maintain fitness and I didn't call things off until late August. So my coach was just keeping us up with time trials. Um, I found an open field nearby where I live and I, I took up two of my training partners and I, I got them to come along with me because the guys were quite relaxed and I was like, I can't sit down for too long not doing anything. So I need to find a way to go out there and get myself fit. So I found myself to an open field. I kept doing 60 meter shuttles every day just, just to stay fit. I had my therapist came to my place and uh, we did a lot of exercises just to keep everything in shape going into the next season. Yeah. Do you think that helps you mentally as well? Like you said, where it's like, oh, you can't just sit still and do nothing. It's not It's not who you are. It's not <laughs> what you do. Yeah, most definitely, definitely helped me because, um, like I said, I can't stay still for too long. And mm. if I, for instance, if I miss training for two days, I feel as if I lose the world. I feel like I've given my, my, compo- my competitors too much ahead of me. So I always try to catch back up. Mm. And um, for me, Staying on top of things is the way I live. I make sure I go according to plan. I have everything written down. 
I, I have great communications with my coach and my, my therapist and the rest of my team. So for me, I'm always on the go mm. and I like to keep busy. So sitting down for so long during the, the pandemic was distraught. Going to the what you said about planning and writing down, I can relate. Yeah. I'm, I'm like that too. You yeah. work with your coach, Glenn Mills, right? Who also yes. coached Usain Bolt. And I've I've read so much. I've read various different interviews that you've done and watched them. And, and there's like always, and I think it must be something that always happens, right? In the sprinting world where you get compared to people. What's it like yeah. working around that ilk, I suppose? And and also his his reputation um, is for being relentless, right? And was relentless with you saying so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what it's like for you. Coach You're Mills smiling. Is <laughs> yeah, Coach Mills is a phenomenal person. Um, he's very grounded. He's very serious in regards to getting serious work done. He's this type of person. He instills that you get the, the technical attributes done correctly. So I th- definitely think that's the reason why you see him ran the way he ran so quickly because Coach Mills drills it into your head. Like, you have to get your 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 foot under your center of balance, keeping low in the dry phase. And when you get upright, it's important to stay relaxed, keep the shoulders down. And I definitely think he sees little traits of you seeing within me. And uh, I think that's make that makes him exciting. And it makes me exciting as well because he he sees that I have the great potential. And working with Coach Mills, I'm I'm really happy with him. Um he keeps me in a, a great mental space as well because we just don't always talk about track. We talk about career, post track and field, and you know, just keeping the mind relaxed because he's always talking about the mind. Everything for Coach Mills is about the mind. He drills that in you in training. And sometimes I go to his house and we just sit down and have a drink and just talk. You know, like, Coach, what, what what am I leading up to? What are your plans for me? And um, how do you see me? Are we in the right place? On you know, what times do you wish for me to achieve? And stuff like that. So I definitely think working with Coach Mills is a, a blessing for me because he's got Olympic gold medals and all champions, world records, and everything. <laughs> you can name it. There's two things I want to pick up on that I was writing when you were talking, so I didn't forget. You said about you saying um, there's traits that he sees. What are those traits in you? Oh, well, for instance, my height. Um, (laughs) You're saying it's six foot five, I'm six foot four. Um, The way we push out of the blocks, uh, we both tend to get out a little slower than other people do in regards to the way I run. I'm quite fluent, like you say, my strides are quite long as well. So I definitely think that's just the little things that he sees within me. Yeah, because... I mean, I love track. Like, I absolutely love it. And it is interesting watching. Um, so I remember being at 2012 and I watched Johan Blake and then Usain Bolt and, Bolt and the difference in, like, the height and the stride yeah. and the, the way they take off is incredible. And there's that famous race, isn't there, where Usain was, like, so far behind off the blocks and then just came over sure. everyone. Yep. The other thing I want to write, um, and it is interesting that you're also that height, which I think is quite unusual, isn't it, for a 100-meter runner? Yeah. I mean, you do 200 as well, yeah. The other thing I wrote down is circled is like, you said he's all, um, your coach is all about mental space, like about the mind. I wonder yeah. if you could expand a bit more on that, how important it is for you to be in that right frame of mind, whatever that means in competition, but also in training in this period now. So he's always talking about once your mind is in the right place, when, once you get to the track, you have what you call muscle memory. 
he's always talking about that. <laughs> and he's always saying, once you do every this routine yeah. on a daily basis, it becomes a part of you. So for instance, when you just get to the line, you just tap in basically and you're there. And once you know you put in the preparation leading up towards the, the, the games, the trials or whatsoever, it's already a part of you. It's just for you to just tap in and stay relaxed, believe in yourself. He's always talking about self-belief. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually say that. He's always talking about self-belief and um, how the mind is the computer of the body and it, it tunes everything. Once the mind isn't on, then you won't train the way you want to train. And he said training is not just about the physical attributes. It's a lot to do with mental aspects. And um, he's always saying that, you know, whatever the, the central computer process is, that's what you get out. Mm-hmm. And um, he, that's what he talks about a lot leading up to, to, to races. So, for instance, when I'm competing, like, for instance, at the European Championships, when I won, uh, he contacted me. He was asking me, how are you doing? I said, I'm good, coach. You sure you're in the right space mentally? I said, yeah, I'm good. He said, okay, um, I don't want you to be on top of social media. That way you get distracted. Just stay in your room, relax, listen to some music, watch movies, or call your mother if you wish. And um, just keep it calm and, and collected because you're in the right place. You're, you're there mentally, and I know you're there physically. So it's just for you to go out there now when the day comes and execute. And he's always talking about execution. So that's what he works with mentally. So in terms of self-belief which I think is incredibly important in anybody's life and the key to be able to kind of reach in your potential or feeling good about yourself. What about yourself? Is that self-belief always been there? Do you ever doubt yourself? At times I used to doubt myself, to be completely honest with you. Um, Sometimes I wonder, like, am I going to execute the race the way I wish to execute the race? Um, How am I going to do this, blah, blah, blah. But no, I definitely think I'm in a better place. Totally, especially with, um, he always compares flying with athletics. He says to me, Zarnel, if you can fly a plane by yourself, why can't you just run a race by yourself in your lane? You know, and he's saying, you have full control. Once you sit behind the cockpit of the aircraft, you're the one that's putting the power. You're the one that's steering the aircraft. So it's the same thing when you go to the track. If you believe that you can fly the plane, it's the same way you can execute the races. And I definitely think with that, scenario or analogy it it comes intertwined and it walks and now I'm, I'm more tuned I'm more relaxed and I'm just wanting to compete mm. especially with the break that we've had during the pandemic I just want to go out there and compete do you get nervous then nah no. I don't get nervous anymore I just want to go out there and line up right now to be honest because you seem like quite laid back and then um... Any interviews I've, you've been described before in interviews as like laid back and stuff like that. But I just wondered if you get any, you must get some kind of nerves or adrenaline or. Well, um, according to you saying, you saying did say competition is the easy part. It's training that's the, the hard part, you know. True. And um, we, we the time trials that we have now, it's quite intense because all of us guys are running really fast. So back then I would probably get nervous when you're leading up to your first time trails but when it got when it comes to track and field competition now and once i know i'm i'm good then it's just game time mm. and um and yes it's normal to feel a little bit of adrenaline and pop your heart's racing a little bit but at the same time you want to control your mind in regards to you are mentally prepared for this outcome 
You know, you don't want to be too drawn up into the situation where the crowd's affecting you. And that time you get timid. You you can't react the way you wish to react and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think adrenaline is good, but controlling your nerves at the same time is important. It reminds me of um, we did an episode with Johnny May, who's an England rugby player. And he was saying about like the perfect try is you don't think about it. Because if you start to think about it is when you start to yeah, doubt yourself. Think things, yeah. yeah. Can it's you relate true. to that? It's definitely true. Because I used to do it when, when I was younger. I used to always think about, oh, I need to get out to the blocks. I know I'm not as fast over the blocks as the other guys. I need to stay low. I, I need to stay relaxed. And you just start putting fresh, extra pressure on yourself, which you don't need. Because yeah. you get to the line. It's like what my mom says, comes what may you are already prepared for it. So just go ahead and deliver yourself. Yeah. Comes what may. It's yeah. good advice for your mom. Says, <laughs> yeah, she always says that, man. Um, flying. I must pick up on that because you said about flying. For those that don't know, you fly planes, actual <laughs> planes, not little remote control ones. Um, where did that come about? And and does that really help you switch off? Yeah, it does. Um, Aviation became um, became a part of me back in high school. Uh, I have a friend by the name of O'Shea Smith. Um, in science class, we always talked about planes. He's always going. His uncles are pilots as well, so he's always talking about planes to me and bringing magazines and stuff like that. And we used to go to the airport, take pictures of planes. And I've always been interested in flying. And then I moved to Jamaica at the age of sixteen. And I had a best friend out here by the name of Jared Simmons. He was already into flight school. And I used to go to his house and I read his books about aviation. I used to ask him to try on his pilot uniform. And <laughs> he used to give me his stripes to put on. So I put the stripes on and like, I try to envision myself being a pilot. And I asked him what was the step that he took. And he told me about the, the cost of flight school and how, how many years it took him. And one day I just decided, you know what, um, well, at 18 years old, I tried to go, and my mom stopped me because she was afraid of, of, of planes till this day. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's afraid. She's afraid of planes. And once I when I when I became 21 years old, I said to her, "I know you don't like flying, but it's my dream. I have to I have to pursue this dream." And she was like, "You know what, son? I don't like it, but go ahead." So once she gave me the okay, I was gone, and I, I signed up for the flight school, and I have a flight simulator set up at my house. So I, I knew everything what to do inside the aircraft. I just needed to know the, the ground school aspects. So once I became aware of everything in regards to aerodynamics, um, how the aircraft works, the engines and stuff like that, it became a part of me. I started reading more about it. I, I, I go up on YouTube, Google, everything. When I started flying, the, the instructor said to me, are you sure you're not a pilot? I said, no, I'm not. He said, are you lying to me? I said, no, I'm not lying. He said, because the way you're flying the aircraft, I've never flown with a student pilot that knows how to control the aircraft the way you do. And he was like, this is a beca- this is going to become boring to me. I said, why you said that? This is the conversation we were having in the air. I said, why you said that? He said, because you already know how to fly. I don't need to teach you anything. The way the aircraft is being handled, I can basically text on my phone because I'm so comfortable with you flying. And in no time, I, I got my my private license. Um, he was like, "It's not going to take you long, because you're out, you're so far ahead." And flying to me is is such a getaway. 
in regards to when you're on the ground. It's like a, a total escape mentally as well, because when you look down on the scenery, you're seeing the cars moving and you're talking to different pilots on the frequency, just channeling yourself throughout the, the airways. It's, it's just an amazing feeling and knowing that you have full control of a, a flying bird. Mm. I can see a lot of synergies between athletics and between racing and being up in the sky like that. And yeah. that I can imagine that escapism. What made you, would you ever think about like being a pilot or was it always athletics? You know, when you were saying to your mom, I want, you know, I want to fly. What was the point that made you want to compete and have this as a profession? I've been doing track since I was young. I started tracks at the age of 10 years old. And um, ever since then, I, I noticed I was really quick. I used to run against the guys in high school and it was like jogging against them. And I'm not <laughs> shaming anyone, but it was like, I was in a totally different caliber to them. And um, when I moved to Jamaica and I started competing in Jamaica and I noticed like I am really fast and running super times like 10-1-2 at the age of 18 years old and then being ranked in the top in top rankings in the world, I, I noticed like you have great potential and I want to pursue this and become more serious about it. And at the age of 19, that's when I decided I'll go pro. And from ever since then, I've been stuck with it. But aviation has always been there since high school. Since high school, that passion became more and more into a thing. And then once I got the simulator set up, then it became more of a dream too. So I said, you know what? Besides just doing track and field, why not set yourself up for post-track and field after athletics, you know? Um, so I decided I'd pick up piloting because it's something I love. It's something I'm always watching. I have a, a dying passion for it. So... I love both of them. You can tell. <laughs> I love like listening to you talk about flying. Um, you you mentioned about high school and then starting track and field at ten years old. You were brought up yeah. in Anguilla. What was it like? Um, and how much has that influenced you? Because that's where your childhood was, which is just so everybody like knows is not familiar. It's a small island in the Caribbean, and then that's how you um, got your British representation, right? Yes. So in Angola, um, we don't have a track. Let's put that out there. We don't have a track. We started off on a grass field. And, you know, there's a lot of talent down there. A lot of talent, especially when I was growing up. Um, the guys that I used to compete against, they used to be, like, really fast. And I've always wanted to be faster than them. And I think it, it, track and field was a part of me because my father, my father's side of the family, they, are, they used to be runners, especially my older brother. Um, but it's just that because track and field isn't a big thing back home and that we don't have a stadium, um, a lot of students, once they get to high school, they fade out from track and yeah. field. So I, I wanted to see how much faster I can become. And I used to race my father on the beach. And every time we go to this, anytime we go swimming, he'll always want to compete against me on the beach and be like, come, let's race, man. So racing with him and other athletes back home, it has always been exciting. You know, and then my very first time competing for Angola at 10 years old, I got seven gold medals. And from ever since then, I became much faster. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to see how much faster I can become at a young age because I was running against guys throughout the Caribbean and I was beating them. And after Shara made the switch from Angola to join Team GB, um, because like I said, Angola doesn't have an Olympic committee as yeah. well. And then things are not going to work out for you once you remain there. I was like, I need to pursue my dream. And 
my only way out is to run for England. And I was happy with the decision. And once I, I joined Team GB in 2015, it was just a joy. And the very first time I remember putting on the track, the tracksuit, the first time actually when I competed there at the trials, I mean, I was unknown by anyone. And I was, it was quite scary at the same time because here you are showing up at, at trials that you never showed up at before and no one knows you. And I was a bit nervous, but after I won the championships and then I moved on to Lausanne, that's when I first competed for England. And I won Diamond League at 19 years old. It was surreal. And knowing that I'm now competing for England, and then I went to London to compete at the London Diamond League. And once I got there, everybody knew me to say. Mm. And then the stadium erupted when my name is called. And that gave me energy. The race went off. I came first place, ran 20.05 into a negative 1.4 win. And the crowd went bizarre. And that made me excited. And then when I got on, when I got to, to Beijing and I got the uniform and everything, it, it felt like, as if I, I put on a superhero suit because now I'm competing for England and I'm happy, I'm in a great space and everything was going well. And I was running pretty fast at that age. You were saying about him, you just, you know, you put that tracksuit on and then you want to go faster. But even as a young age, you were like, I wonder how fast I can be. Is that something that still remains? It's like, you're still really young and it's like, okay, how fast can I go? How fast can I definitely you think go? I, I definitely think I can run faster than 991. I, I definitely can run faster than 991. Um, I don't want to put a limit to myself, but I can, I can run 9798. I definitely think it's within me. As long as I go there and get it done, correctly it's going to come mm. you can see that you really believe that yeah sporting life prides itself on being ahead of the rest by providing unrivaled analysis opinion debate and statistics for the sports you love whether it's horse racing football golf or cricket sporting life has the insight you want and need visit sportinglife.com or download the free app for apple and android devices I wanted to take you back to 2018 because it's really interesting. Whenever I love to read lots about different people, whenever I chat to them, especially if I haven't spoken to them before, I haven't spoken to you before. And there's so many articles that come up about you in 2018. It's almost like so much happened in 2018. And I wanted, firstly, maybe the first first thing I'll ask you to do is just now when you sat here, you know, we're talking in 2021. What do you think of when you look back to that time? Because so much happened and how do you reflect back and what did you learn from that? Sorry, lots of questions within that question. Well, 2018 was a, a blessing year. Um, it first started off when, when I got disqualified at the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up and not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to mention because it actually set me up for the rest of the season. So 2018, Commonwealth Games... Things got, didn't go according to plan, right? That born in desire of not getting that gold medal in the 200 meters, it was a driving force going forward. Um, after I got the goal in the, the four by one, I was like, I still feel as if I'm missing something. So I came back to Jamaica and I said to coach, coach, I want to take on the 100 meters. I want to take on the 100 meters and see how much faster we can go. Let's go for it. Um, he was like, you sure you don't want to run the 400? I said, no, coach. I don't mm-hmm. like the 400. I want to try the 100 because I haven't run it since high school. And he was like, okay, we, I'm going to prepare you for it. 
and came back, the grind was 10 times harder than what I put in leading up towards Gold Coast. Then my first race after Gold Coast was in Boston at the Adidas Street Race. I ran 9.95 or 9.97 on the on the wooden track. And I was like, wow, you actually ran that time on this platform. When I got back to Jamaica, I was excited because now I'm training with Blake and those guys practicing for the 100 meters. And once we were doing block starts, I realized I was staying close to Johan Blake and the other guys. And everything with us went crazy. <laughs> and now I'm European champion. So everything just came together at the right moment. It's it's so talk, listening to you talk about that because I was interested in how I was interested in how because I remember that disqualification. So for those that don't remember it, um, you basically touched the arm of um, Richard, Richards. Richards. Yes, yeah. that's it. Thank you. Um, and then that's how and you were on for gold. England was on for gold, and that was a disqualification. And it, yeah. just you talking about it from them, it's everything. It's almost like you feel that because of that made you gave you the drive to go on to do 100 meters and do what you've gone and done yes and what in that moment did you you know you you've kind of said it as in oh i came back and i was like right i'm gonna do 100 meters and yeah but was there a moment where you beat yourself up about that initially oh, yeah to, to be honest after the night when i got disqualified i went back to the dorm and it was devastating um remember adam jamili andrew posi Harry Aiken, Zariti, those guys were my roommates. And yeah. they all gave me a pat on the back and was trying to encourage me to stay calm and not to beat up myself. But at the same time, I, I worked hard for it and then to, to be disqualified. Um, I had to get myself in the mental space again because the next morning was a real easy. And I stayed up the entire night. I stayed up the entire night um, just thinking about how did this happen? And, you know, um, I just tried to get myself prepared again for the next day. The next day I got to the track, I was quite tired, to be honest. I'm not surprised if you <laughs> but, stayed up. Uh, <laughs> but how could you my... have slept anyway if that was going on in your head, you know? Exactly. So I remember my therapist at the time, he was like, just try, try to forget about last night. Um, it's a new day. You don't want to go out there with that bad energy and you mess things up in the wheelie. And I was like, I won't let it happen. I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a goal. I have to get something from the goal course to go back home with. And I told the guys, look, just go out there, execute the race, get the baton around, and we'll be okay. Ran the heats, we got a good time. Came back for the finals, and I was pumped up. I said to them, look, we're gonna go home with a gold medal today, regardless of anything. We're getting it. And I told uh, Ruben, he was the starter. I said, Ruben, I'm gonna get up hard. Just get me the baton. And I'll do my part. I did my part. When I handed it over to Kilty, I realized we were in the lead. And Kilty just flew off the bend. Harry just needed to finish it. And Harry took the baton straight home. Go. And we were happy, celebrated. And I felt somewhat of a relief. But like I said, yeah. there was a missing gap because I lost the gold medal the, the night before. But um, from there, like I said, that was my driving force the rest of the season. And also that year, um, again, you can tell me if you don't want to talk about it. It's just sure. I feel if I don't ask you about it, um, I'd be doing it you a disservice because especially what we could maybe learn from you in terms of mental health or trauma, because I know that same year, um, 
you know, you had a really scary incident where you were in, you know, I'm going to say, yeah, in, yeah. in the training car park in Jamaica where somebody held a gun to you, which obviously I don't want you to talk about if it's going to bring anything up. Um, but I can imagine that was incredibly scary for those that don't know or haven't read about it. Um, again, I'm just saying it from what's being written. I wasn't obviously there, but somebody went a bit uh, quite crazy with a gun. It must have been extremely traumatic. Um, myself, I talk a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma, which is why I wanted to ask you how you dealt with that. Because, you know, I'm sure you're absolutely fine now, but in that moment, it must have been extremely traumatic. And the way that we kind of like react in fight and flight and that it's not something that you can just forget, right? Yeah, you can't forget it. Uh, but I remember the day um, when everything happened, I still trained. <laughs> I still trained. Um, you still trained when, after When it. things happen, Yes, yeah, I still trained that, that day. Um, I, I at first I sat down. I spoke to coach, and he was asking me if I was okay. Um, my adrenaline was through the roof. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> adrenaline was through the roof, and I was contemplating: should I should I train? Uh, should I let the day go to a race? And that was the Tuesday afternoon. And I, I needed to compete on the Saturday afternoon, and I was like, you know, I have a race coming up, and it's going to be my opening race. I still need to train. I ran a day. I, I still I still trained. Uh, I did 150s. I ran super, super, super fast because, but like I said, my adrenaline was through the roof. Yeah. But when, when things calmed down now, at, at later in the evening, I was a bit paranoid. Like, every time I close my eyes, I can see what happened. I just try to block it. I try to suppress, suppress the entire week. And people was concerned whether or not would I race the Saturday because now I'm going to hear the sounds of the gun effect. Yeah. being fired just before oh, the race. Of course, yeah, whether that triggered yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, so my coach was asking me, do you want to pull out of the meet? I was like, no, coach, I want to compete. My, my therapist was asking me the same thing. And I was like, are you okay, Adrian? Every second I was warming up, they kept asking me, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I put that behind me. That's behind me now. Today's the day I compete. Let's focus on that. Race ran off, and I was perfectly fine. And then the following week, uh, I was... A bit timid going in that training, but mm. I, I, it became natural to me after a while. Like, you know what? That's gone behind me. Focus on what's ahead of you now. Yeah. And I just put it behind me. Is it, it probably helped you, the fact that you went and trained, because it yeah. you could do something with that adrenaline, which obviously comes from any situation where there's fear and that kind of fight and flight thing kicks in. And the fact that you probably had a focus. Um, you mentioned that you spoke to your therapist. Is, is, some, is that something that you regularly do and do you think really helpful? My therapist, um, when I mean therapist, I'm talking about my massage therapist. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. We have a really good connection. Uh, he's like an older brother to me. We we do a lot of extra work as well, so he's always around me, and um, he's he's very he's very um, motivational. Sean Kettle is his name. He believes in me, and he's always encouraging me to to be better. And he sees that I have great potential of running super times. And sometimes when my coach isn't there, he's the one that's there catching my times, mm-hmm. and we give coach the feedback. So we have a really good connection, and. He's always trying to keep me in a a weird mental space as well. I'm joined now by Jamie Middleman, who hosts one of my favourite new podcasts, Flame Bearers. Flame Bearers celebrates women Olympians and Paralympians striving to compete in this summer's Tokyo Games. Welcome, Jamie, to My Sporting Mind. It's so great to have you on. What inspired you to create Flame Bearers? 
Hey, Charlie, so excited to be here. You know, I think this past year has been insanely challenging for all of us. We're all alone. We need hope and inspiration now more than ever. And the women I speak with are the absolute masters of resiliency. These are women who've overcome every obstacle, physical, emotional, mental. And essentially, I wanted to provide them a platform that we could all learn from. Yeah, I think these stories can often be so overlooked as well. What's one of your favorite conversations? I know that's probably a hard question to ask you. I feel like I'm I'm choosing between my children. Um, <laughs> Manasi Joshi, probably hands down. Um, she was one of my first athletes that I featured. She is the world para badminton champion. She's from India. She's uh, BBC's India Sportswoman of the Year. Um, essentially, one day on her way to work, uh, a truck ran into Manasi when she was on her motorbike and she lost her leg. Um, it's kind of indicative of who Manasi is because while she is bleeding out on the floor, she's the person who's telling everyone what to do. And years later, she she won, you know, won the world championship in badminton. So definitely check it out. I'm absolutely obsessed with this woman. Yeah, that sounds an incredible story and hugely inspiring. I think there's so much synergy between my sporting mind and flame bearers and having those open conversation, like the best athletes in the world opening up and sharing their struggles for us all to learn from. That's why you should definitely have a listen to flame bearers. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jamie, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Zanel, you were a fan of mottos because um, I've got your social media in front of me and you've got always hope but never expect. And then I know that your primary school motto was inspire before you expire. What do these mean to you? And is that something you're laughing? Is that something that you use, you carry around with you? Because I know some people have phrases which are really important to them. Yeah. So the, the primary the primary school one is the one I mostly live by. Because a lot of us from that primary school, we became successful. And not not just track and field, but in regards. So our tracks went to the same primary school. So. Right. so I'm pretty sure she's aware of that same motto. So it's been instilled in us from from very young that um you know if you want to be successful, you know, go ahead after your goals. But at the, the end of the day, try to inspire as much as you can as, along the way, and that's what sometimes I, I've lived up to. I've always tried to be a positive a positive influence towards mm-hmm. the youth. I know a lot of them look up to me. Uh, I try to make sure I my content is okay. It's always clean and. I always try to do questionnaires and stuff like that. So, for instance, like when someone wants to do track and field and they don't know how to start, uh, someone would probably reach out to me and I'll send them a DM and let them know. Um, because at the end of the day, when I was growing up, there was no one doing that. Yeah. And I feel as if it's a stepping stone towards a goal. You know, you, sometimes you just need a, 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 someone to say something to you. And I definitely think... Um, inspiring the youth of tomorrow can can better sports in general and you know there'll be more sportsmanship there'll be more people involved in the sport and there'll be more people wanting to be like Usain, Zarnell, you know Adam Jamili, Reese Prescott just to mention a few names you know and I definitely think um, we're doing a great job by doing that and I want to do more and if I can as long as I live and I'm healthy then I'll continue to inspire as much as I can. 
Was there anybody there for you? You said there wasn't that there and there wasn't kind of yeah. that person you could DM, which probably was also because social media wasn't really a thing. Um, yeah. who, who was that for you? Because you talked about your dad um, training on the beach and racing him. And then you've also talked about your mom and her motto of come, come what may. Come what come to yeah. me, yeah. Yeah. It was my mom that has been my inspiration. Um, she she has always been there for us. She's very down to us. She's always that person who believes in achieving goals. And you know, when I first started out, like like I said, I, I never used to have a pair of spikes and she was the one that got me my first pair of spikes and she was always saying to me, Son, I know what you want to achieve and um, I'm gonna be there to support you. And so, for instance, when I came home from high school in the evening times, I used to have to rush to get back to the, the park, which I, where I trained. And when I got home, she'll make sure I have my food set up. I have mm-hmm. my water and my Gatorade and stuff set up just for training. And she'll always come to my training sessions and sit down there and watch me train. But she don't watch me now because she don't like to see me suffer. <laughs> so... <laughs> So she has always been there. She has always been an inspiration. Um, she's very grounded since she's been growing up. She's been raised that way to be very independent, mm-hmm. be very supportive. And I definitely think she passed, a lot, passed that down to my brothers and I. Mm-hmm. And we are very independent. We are self-driven. And we are very ambitious young men. Because mm-hmm. I have two younger brothers. And um, they, don't do, they used to do sports, but they don't do it anymore. Um, so they, they've gone their own path and mm-hmm. <laughs> I've gone my own path. <laughs> so you've got three, is there three of you? Three yeah, boys? Three yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's funny you said that about, um, your. I mean, your mum sounds amazing. How important do you think it is that men have those role models as well? Um, you said about the three think, of you and you want to be a positive male role, role model. Yeah. I definitely think men should be a part of their, the young boys and girls as they grow up, because, you know, we, we need that, we need that gap to be filled. You know, sometimes it's quite hard on a mother to, to fill both roles of a mother and father. And, um, I know some fathers might think it's a bit soft by encouraging the youth, but we actually need it. You know, um, mm. it's, it's quite hard on the, on the mother at times. Cause if you, if you take into consideration the, the whole process that a mother has to go through. She carries us from birth, the pain that she goes through, and raising us up, making sure you go to school, getting all the essentials, and still have to play another role of being a father by supporting you mentally. Because to me, I think a father plays a more of a mental aspect than the, the mother, because the mother is more of an emotional side. Yes, she shows love and affection, but at the same time, you need that, grounded um how should i put it um guidance to like you know life is set up this way it's going to be hard at times it's not always about bed of roses and stuff like that so i definitely think uh father road is very important in regards to sports because sometimes like women we women think more of an emotional side in regards to for instance when i have to compete my mom tries not to say too much because she's afraid that she might say something too much that, that might throw me off. So my father would come in and be like, son, look here, just go there and race. You're, you're going to be fine. Just do it. Just go ahead. You're prepared. 
Uh, I'm going to be tuned into the TV. I'm going to be there watching you. And I know at the end of the day, I'm going to be proud of you, you know, and, and that helps. Mm. Sometimes my mom, my mother, to be honest, to this day, my mother doesn't watch my races live, you know. Really? She prefers to watch, <laughs> prefers to watch the replay because she's too nervous. <laughs> my, when I brought my mom out here to watch me compete in Jamaica, my mom, she told me the story afterwards. She was like, I didn't see the race. I didn't see the race. I was like, what do you mean you didn't see the race? She was like, I had my head down the entire time and someone told me you won the race. I was like, are you serious? And she was like, yeah, I, I do it every time you compete. I, I don't, I, I can't watch the race when you're competing because I'm too nervous. I always prefer to watch the replay. That's so like, funny. Yeah. That she sat there with her head in her hands and didn't she even watch. She watches the race like this. Until somebody tells her, yeah, he won the race. <laughs> and then yeah, just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, on that note, could you describe to us, if you can, what it's like to run 100 metres? Because I think the 100 metres is the thing that, well, it's the marquee event, right? The 100 yeah. metre final in the Olympics. It's the one that everybody wants to go for. Um, you know, we all watch it. What is it like? Do you think about anything? You know, because it, it's so quick. Yep. Coach Mills, again, this is where Coach Mills comes in. Uh, Coach Mills, he's always saying 100 metres is not 60 metres. So, for instance, I won't get out as quick as everybody else, but that doesn't mean the race ends at 60. After 60 metres, you have 40 metres, which I, I'm very strong at because of my 200 metres. So, I, what I try to do when I'm competing in the 100 metres, I just try to execute my very first five steps because that's crucial to me because I'm being told um, my, my frequency isn't as quick as the other guys. So I try to stay within, I try to, to get my first five steps correct. Sometimes that can be thrown off because sometimes your, your first two steps are okay, but your third step, you might collapse a little bit. So Coach Mills is always drilling in you to get your foot on the center, center of balance. So he's, that means getting your hips forward, positioning your ankles in the dorsiflex position. That way you strike back the ground correctly and you keep your head neutral as possible. Because if your head moves too much, then you throw, it throws off your hips. And he's always like talking about swinging your arms at 90 degrees to get the full power and getting that power line. Because once the power line is okay, executed correctly, everything falls into play. And once you get to... to 30 meters, you gradually come up with your dry phase. It's like he's always complaining to aviation as well. He said, when when the pilot powers up the aircraft, he doesn't pull back the yoke instantly. You have to wait until the aircraft builds up. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to build up and then you rotate. Rotate means take off. Hmm. Uh, It's it's the same thing as when you're running. You gradually build up and you patiently come up with your dry phase. That way you get a smooth transition and things will go according to plan. You get upright, stay relaxed, shoulders down, head is neutral, knees lifting at 90 degrees, and you just fall towards the finish line. But the 100 meters, you can't make any errors, and that's the thing about it. Mm. Um, everything has to be very precise, and that's the way we're training. Um, we try to break, he tried to break break things down, like every Thursday or Friday, we probably do it. So, for instance, like today, we probably might walk on the first 10 meters of the race. And then Friday, we'll work on the transition and the top end part of the race. So those are the things that we, we try to tweak on. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's the fact that it's all broken down into bits to then make a whole. Um, So what advice would you give to young athletes? Because you mentioned a bit earlier about wanting to be that inspiration. Yeah. Well, for me, I will always tell them, um, you know, at times things might not always go your way in regards. So you might just start out track and field, you do your first race and you, you lose. I lost many times. And use that as a lesson. Uh, I don't, for instance, me losing a race is a lesson. You know, it only makes you better. It only makes you more hungry to, to be successful. Mm-hmm. And what I'll tell you is to stay driven. And once you, you have that self-belief that you can become the person that you wish to become, stay grinded, stay patient, because patience is very important. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that I've, always try to tell myself and believe in regards to God. Um, sometimes you want things to be done, your timing, you, you know what I mean? You want I things to be done mean, so instantly. I'm exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, you want, you want things to be done right away. Yeah. But sometimes it just doesn't work that way. No. You know, God has plans for you that in your time, things will come manifest for you. And to me, I'll tell you, stay inspired, stay grounded, have patience and have that self-belief that one day your day will come. I really like that you brought up patience. I don't think it's talked about enough. It's something that I definitely had to learn a lot about um, because I'm very of that personality. And I think it's something that has really helped me to to understand patience. So thank you for bringing it up. Final question for you then. Um, What advice would you give to anybody that that's struggling a little bit at the moment during this time try not to dwell too much on the, the whole situation yes the whole world is facing a pandemic there's nothing that we can really do about it mm. at the end of the day um it's like you're stuck in a dark tunnel but just know that you won't be in a dark tunnel forever you know um, at some point you will see the light just be patient and try to try to be around people that has that positive energy mm. you know um Try not to dwell too much on the negative. You know, um, for instance, again, the news can be uh, so tiring, man, that, you know, if you constantly read the news about the pandemic, the pandemic, the pandemic, and everything that's happening around the world, it it makes you feel stressed out. It draws you down. And try to be around people who will uplift you, give you that energy that that you need try to play like a game or read a book, do things that makes you happy. For instance, during the pandemic, I, I, I started baking more. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I, yeah, I started baking more with my girlfriend. I uh, <laughs> do lots of cakes and stuff like that. that that's when I went off season. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, were you allowed to eat them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was during off season. Uh, we did a lot more baking, a lot more cooking and stuff like that. So it makes you enjoy something that you don't usually do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it takes away all the stress that's going on, you know? So try not to get caught up in everything. Yeah. Just let low at times because I'm quite chilled. Uh, <laughs> that's, just my, that's just how I've been. I've always been chilled, laid back, and um, I'm always trying to be positive. Uh, I like I like scented candles as well. So I am always burning my scented candles and having a vibe, listening to music and play games. I think that's a really, yeah. Sorry, go on. That's the way I cope cope with it. Yeah. So far, it's been okay. Yeah, I think that's really good because you obviously give a lot of 
I don't know, care to yourself and time, yeah. I think, which is important, you know, you whether it's... You definitely need yeah. time for yourself. Yeah. Because some people get so caught up in the world that I need to do this, I need to do yeah. that. And then at the end of the day, you're not happy because you're always chasing after something. What about yourself? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, you need time. You need time for yourself. I'm like, yes, <laughs> <know>? yes. So, <laughs> um, and just because I think that's times, really... I was just yeah, going to say, just because I think you, that's really important. Yeah, the little times that you spend with yourself and get to understand who you are, mm. what makes you happy, you become so peaceful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really agree. And I think um, that chasing that thing all the time, which ultimately, whenever you chase it, you might get it, and then you've got to chase the next thing, and then exactly. you're never happy anyway. It's always, it's yeah. Goal. Thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you, Zarnal. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I wish you so much luck in training. Fingers crossed for the Olympics. And I can't wait to watch you and go and smash all those records as well. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you. Maybe get to Jamaica sometime. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and check out our other episodes as well, including with Morgan Lake, Tom Bosworth and loads more. Remember to visit sportinglife.com ahead of the rest when it comes to unbiased opinion and sports analysis. And there is help if you're really struggling. Charities such as mine, the Samaritans and Sporting Mind are just a phone call or email away. And people do want to help and do understand. You can also text SHOUT to 85258 if you don't want to talk on the phone. And remember self-care and taking time for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Take care and we'll speak again very soon. Thank you very much. Take care.